the stories. Be motivated. Be inspired. Join us today. Voice America Influencers. Welcome to The Art of Significance with your host, Hall of Fame speaker, New York Times bestselling author, university professor, gold record songwriter, and award-winning athlete, Dan Clark. Get ready for engaging discussions with some of the most influential people in the world who will impart their wisdom, stories, and inspiration on why and how to achieve the level beyond success. Now here's your host, Dan Clark. I hope everybody's doing well. Welcome back. Our listenership is growing. Uh, Last analytics showed we have people calling in from 20 countries. I appreciate that so much. I always try to honor our military. I know they tune in. The best news is, obviously, this is an on-demand podcast that you can actually pull up later on. And I appreciate that opportunity. The VoiceAmerica.com radio network is just so extraordinary. Uh, Jeff Spinard, who's the owner, the creator, is is a genius in influencing the lives of others. And I need to pay tribute to him and his vision and his passion and creativity and imagination that makes this influencer's channel possible for me and the other hosts. Today's show is focused 100% on writing, on book writing, on the reason why each of us need to journal. When my dad died, I wrote him a letter. Weird, eh? But maybe not, because I keep it in my top drawer in my desk in my library. And it's written in my handwriting. Excuse me. And I just keep it there. Sometimes I get off the road or I'll go on a on a, on, a, on a touring speaking binge for two weeks or something. And I'll often forget about those individuals in my life who have really touched me and tutored me and mentored me and taught me about what it takes to be a man and to be a father and to be a husband and to be the best that I can be. And my dad is clearly one of my heroes. As you know, I'm a songwriter, got some gold records in country music, and one of my most proud moments. One of my best songs used to get a lot of radio play. It was written about my dad and it's called Special Man, the lyrical hook. Any male can be a father, but it takes a special man to be a dad. And so I want to dedicate this entire show to two guests, interviewing two guests. The first guest will be Richard Paul Evans, not only a New York Times bestselling author, international superstar author, but he's also one of my my friends, and he's one of my heroes and one of my mentors. You don't want to miss him. He uh, has millions and millions of books. Over 30 million copies of his books are in print. And in the second hour, my second guest will be Angie Fenimore, also a best-selling author with Random House, Simon & Schuster, UK, Pocket Books, and others. And she has specialized, she has taken her writing skills and her published books and what she learned through that process, and she's turned it into a magnificent writer's conference and an actual course that any one of us can sign up for online or come belly to belly in person to learn how to write. And the reason why that's so significant ties us right back to what I said when my dad passed away, I wrote him a letter so I didn't have to keep bottled up inside of me the emotions and the thoughts and the feelings that I had about him. 
and I keep it in my top drawer. So whenever I want to revisit that, I can pull out that letter. I reread it. It always brings tears to my eyes. And I've even added to that letter over the years so that I can use that as my sounding board, as my in-class therapist, in-house therapist, if you will, to talk to myself. Now, some of you might wonder why I believe that all of us need to become authors, why all of us need to journal. Well, I've read one book a week for the last 15 and a half years, and still the best book I've read is my dad's personal history. So when he was diagnosed with cancer and given six months to live, because of my relationship with him, different and unlike the other siblings I have, I took my video camera, and it was one of those large shoulder-mounted cameras in those days with with the video machine looking like a, a, a briefcase that you carried around with you. And I said to my dad, we're going to go back where you grew up. I want to videotape you in your run, one-room schoolhouse where you learned. He showed me the poplar tree that he hit while he was learning to ride his bicycle. He grew up on a farm, and his brother talked him into tying the rope onto the handlebars of his bike and tying the other end of the rope onto the saddle horn. And as the horse was galloping down the the dirt road, it suddenly took a right. It hung a right, and my dad slammed into the poplar tree going about 40. Those are wonderful stories. And part of this interview revealed to me my dad's sense of humor that most people did not see. He was so dignified. He was so conservative. He was a great speaker and orator. When he walked into a room with his with his posture and his demeanor, people would stop and say, who is he? What does he do? He was just a grand man. And yet I got to see the humorous side of him. In fact, one of the things that I remember so vividly is going up to his home to visit him while he was battling cancer. And he was fairly sick lying on his sofa. The television was on. And as I sat down to start talking with him, a television advertisement came on for the newest movie out called Dirty Dancing. And my dad sits up as Patrick Swayze's holding the gal and his arms in cl- close proximity doing the, the old grind and bump and grind. And my conservative dad sits up. He says, Danny, do they really dance that way these days? And I said, yeah, dad, they call it the Lombada. He said, whoa, we used to neuter dogs for doing that to our leg. (laughs) Of course, I shared that story at his memorial service. My mom has still never forgiven me, but my brothers and my sister were so serious and paying this tribute to my dad as this amazing businessman and an entrepreneur who founded his own financial corporation and, and his own insurance company. And I had to share the other side of my dad and the stories flowed because of the experiences that I shared with my dad. And obviously his personal history is my favorite book that I ever read and I continuously read it because it shares his stories. That's speech A. Speech B, my friends, I've written a lot of speeches for celebrities. I've written five speeches for Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I wrote his TED Talk. I've helped so many celebrities, Hank Haney, Tiger Woods, former golf coach, and Derek Huff from Dancing with the Stars, and Paula Abdul, Marie Osmond, the list goes on and on. But one of the more intriguing speeches that I had an opportunity to help write was for Donny Osmond when he was invited to speak at the national or international Roots Tech 
conference held here in Salt Lake City, Utah. 20,000 plus people congregate to discuss family history and genealogy and how to dig back into our roots with, you know, all the different records, death records from gathered from all over the world on microfilm. And Donnie calls me and asks me if I can help him write a speech. And I said, absolutely, bro. And the question he asked me was, everybody's going to wonder why they asked Donnie Osmond to speak at a Roots Tech conference on family history and genealogy. He's a singer entertainer. And that's how we began to focus in on what his message was would be. And in Donnie's speech, he asked the audience, first he, he, he revealed and, and confessed, he said, my life has been documented since I was four years old. He appeared on the Andy Williams show. He appeared with his famous brothers. He was, he was a, a, a household name in the UK and in Ireland. Donny Osmond says his life had been documented since he was four years old. And then he pauses and he asks the 20,000 people in attendance, has yours? And if not, why not? And Donnie confessed with this humility, his life is not more important or more significant than anyone else's life. And what he leaves his children and his grandchildren, part of his legacy are the stories. Family history is about storytelling. And obviously, it can't just be an oral tradition. We have to document those stories. We must do everything we know how to do to perpetuate our stories, our experiences, our life lessons. Remember, we don't learn to know, we learn to do. There's a famous biblical scripture in James 1 and 5 that says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. He didn't say, if any of you lack knowledge, if any of you lack information. He he said, if any of you lack wisdom, and wisdom is applied knowledge. Wisdom comes through the interpretation of our knowledge and information. When we turn on the 10 o'clock news, we don't We don't remember the facts and figures. We remember the interpretation of the facts and figures. We remember the stories. And one of the greatest storytellers that I've ever come across in my many years, I've written 34 books. I'm curious about the power of the pen. And I've sold my share validating that there's power in sharing our stories in book form, in written form, so that someone can pass it along. The secret to the marketing of our Chicken Soup for the Soul series was, when you don't know what to say, give it away. We turned it into a gift book based on a man's lack of ability to communicate at a deeper level. So when someone goes through a devastating divorce, the the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job, and we feel compelled to say something, but we don't know what to say, give it away. Give them a book. Read page 16. Phone me on Friday. Read page 117. Tell me what you think on Monday. Books are incredibly important. And regardless of how much we rely on the internet and we want to download on Kindle, there's nothing better than just a physical copy, a book of paper in your hands, sitting at the ocean, sitting by a pool, sitting on an airplane with pages that you can actually mark and highlight and write in the margins. Can you imagine the legacy that you can leave behind as I have multiple books with my dad's handwriting and notes in the margins in my bookshelves here sitting in my library today? 
I love books, and I want everyone listening to love books too. And as I said, the greatest storyteller, now I'm not a superlative guy, the greatest storyteller I have ever met and come in contact with is a friend of mine, a gentleman by the name of Richard Paul Evans, who wrote the number one bestseller, The Christmas Box. And when we come back from commercial break, we have an opportunity to spend the entire hour with Richard, or as I affectionately call him, Rick. And I want to pick his brain about everything that you can imagine that makes this individual a superstar author, a superstar husband, a superstar dad, a superstar philanthropist, and one of the classiest human beings you'll ever meet. Oh, and by the way, as a professional speaker, he kind of ticks me off because he's direct competition. He's also one of the very best keynote speakers you will ever hear. Let's go to commercial break. Dan Clark, voiceamerica.com. This is the Influencers Channel. Don't go anywhere and gather your friends and family around because we're going to talk about the significance of writing and reading and giving away these magnificent gifts we call books. stories be motivated be inspired join us today voice america influencers i just got out of a meeting where the unbelievable dan clark was the keynote speaker he is clearly the most interesting man in the world he's been into space he reminded us to think bigger He's a primary contributor to those chicken soup books, and he inspired all of us to make our lives matter. He taught us how to deal with change like he had to when he had to recover from a paralyzing football injury. Everybody needs to hear his message on leadership and safety and how he turns last place NFL teams into Super Bowl champions. Call this number, 1-800-676-1121, and visit danclark.com. If you want to transform your mindset to get more from life and enjoy more success, then don't just get motivated, be inspired. Listen as hosts James Dentley and Stephen Pierce take you on a fun, bold, and exciting adventure that will inspire you with ideas, stories, and success strategies to help you find your passion, live your dreams, and experience more happiness and success. Tune in to Be Inspired every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Your future depends on it. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You're listening to The Art of Significance featuring your host, Dan Clark. If you want to join in on this week's discussion, give us a call at 1-866-472-5795. Again, that's 1-866-472-5795. Or drop Dan a line via email to danclark at xmission.com. 
Now back to the Art of Significance. Here again is Dan Clark. Welcome back. And as I said before we went to commercial break, anyone in your family, anyone in your business or in your circle of influence that you really care about needs to listen to the interview with Richard Paul Evans. This guy is so amazing. He graduated with a Bachelor of Arts degree from the University of Utah, my alma mater, in 1984, which means he's only... 55 years of age, which is significant when you find out everything that he's been able to accomplish. While working as an advertising executive, he wrote a Christmas story for his children and unable to find a publisher and an agent, he self-published the work in 1993 as a paperback novella entitled The Christmas Box, and he simply distributed it to bookstores in our community. The book became a local bestseller, prompting Rick excuse me, to publish the book in this region, the Intermountain area. And the next year, the Christmas box hit number two on the New York Times bestseller list, inciting an auction for the publishing rights among the world's top publishing houses. Evan signed a publishing deal with Simon & Schuster, and I'm sure this is going to embarrass him. I don't even know if it's public knowledge. But as an author, I just envy this this experience, this this opportunity for a publisher to step up and honor someone like they did with Rick Evans. But Evans signed a publishing deal with Simon & Schuster, who paid Evans $4.2 million in an advance, released in hardcover in 1995. The Christmas Box became the first book to simultaneously reach the number one position on the New York Times bestseller list for both paperback and hardcover editions that same year. The book was made into a television movie of the same title starring Richard Thomas and Maureen O'Hara. As we take a couple of commercial breaks during the course of this interview, you'll hear so much more about other parts of his resume, other parts of his accomplishments. But let's just get right to this interview. Richard Paul Evans, or as we affectionately refer to him as Rick, how are you, brother? Thanks for joining me on my show. It's good to be here, Dan. Thank you. So let's get right to it. The story behind the Christmas box. And as you're an advertising executive, I know, and obviously you knew that you had creativity, passion, imagination. You had all of the the makings to become an awesome author, but you never intended to be one. Tell us the story of how it happened and how you came up with the story of the Christmas box. I had just, at the time we were, I was doing advertising for for political candidates. So we had just finished a successful U.S. Senator race. I, even though I was only 29, I had run for the state legislature and I lost in the last vote, the last poll, by um, 100 votes. And so all of a sudden I had all this time on my hands and I decided I would do something I always wanted to do and that is I would write a book. At the time I was writing a lot of radio copy and, and brochures and things of that, of that ilk and and I thought, well, this is like writing a whole bunch of uh, brochures. So I started writing a little book called The Christmas Box. And I wanted to write something that would express the love of, I, I felt as a new father. I had two little girls, Jenna and Allison at the time. And um, they they just had my heart. And it was such a powerful experience being a father. And, and so... Um, they always said to write about things that matter to you, and so I wrote about the importance of fatherhood and childhood, and and I didn't really think much of it. I, I didn't I didn't plan on selling the book. I just I, I thought this will make a I wanted it to be a good Christmas gift. So when I um, 
And as I started to write the book, I just received remarkable inspiration. The book just seemed to have a life of its own, and it became more than I thought it was going to be. And so when I finished, I thought I'd, I'd get a first copy to my wife, Carrie, and asked her to tell me what she thought of it. And, and not realizing this was a intimidating thing to do to a wife, because either I have to be a, a good writer or she has to be a good liar. <laughs> so she um, she tried to put it off, and I said, look, just read the first three pages. If you don't like it, I don't care. You don't have to read it. And, um, of course, it was a big lie, but she uh-huh. um, started to read, and she kept reading and reading, and an hour later, she finished the book, and she looks up, and she's just sobbing. Her eyes are filled with tears, and, and she said, where did you get this story? I said, honey, I, I wrote it. And she just said, it makes me want to be a better mother, and... A few days later, I gave a copy to my mother, and it, that's where the miracle began. It just, um, I handed out 20 copies, and I, within weeks, I was receiving phone calls from people I didn't know and wanted to tell me about the book and how it had affected them, and I would say, who are you, and how did you get my book? And I tracked them down, and I realized in the four weeks since I handed out those Christmas gifts, those 20 copies I had made at Kinko's, they had been read more, more than 160 times. And then bookstores start calling with orders for the unpublished book. And so I thought, okay, I have something here. I better, I should, I should publish this. And so I, I began sending it to publishers, and they quickly rejected the book. Uh, they just, you know, letter after letter said a book like this, you know, we're not right for you. A book like this will never sell. Um, I, 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 I look with commiseration over those poor people because everyone who sent me a rejection letter lost at least $40 million. <laughs> did you ever oh, feel like? Did you ever feel like writing them a personal letter and just say, you know, I'd love to invite you to my houseboat on Lake Powell, but I really am not in the mood. <laughs> they, you know what? They all know it. You know, they they know it. Some some have contacted me. It's like, man, we should have picked it up. It's like, yeah, that would have changed your life. Um, but the book yeah, finds itself, and and so I decided um, I was still receiving so many requests for the book that I just went out and self published the book and. And within weeks, I uh, started to distribute it locally. I was fairly naive about this. I, I could think of seven bookstores I wanted to sell in, so I printed up 7,000 copies because I believed that an average book probably sold 1,000 copies in a bookstore. We know the truth. An average book sells 1.8 yeah, copies in a bookstore. Absolutely. Maximum yeah, so, five. Uh, maximum so, five. So, but it just started to, it just started to uh, grow. It went viral, and um, it sold out. Before Christmas, I ended up having with 20,000 copies before Christmas, and because I, I couldn't turn them around fast, I didn't have much money. You know, I printed what I could, and when they sold out, I started hearing stories of people getting, women getting fistfights over the last copy of a book in one store, <laughs> and um, just crazy stories, and and I probably did the best thing I could have done, that is I, I had bought some radio ads, but the book was sold out, so I just thanked people for buying the book and told them they couldn't have it. And then they really wanted to have it. That's fun. And that's where, it, that's where it started. The next year I took it national. Went through some really tough times uh, trying to break in. And then it just, it just had its own way. It just, just kept growing and growing. And then one day I get a call from People Magazine that they wanted to do a story on it. And then I receive a phone call from uh, um, the Today Show after the People Magazine article comes out. And... Um, you know, that was it. The book hits number two on the New York Times bestseller list, even though it was only in 5% of the bookstores in America. And mm-hmm. then all the big publishers start calling me. And they're just, 
I remember the first publisher called me and said, "Look, Mr. Evans, I'm prepared to give you two million dollars today." Wow. I said, no, no. It's like, what? Why? I go, well, there's six, twelve other publishers who called me, and so I mean, it was just, it was crazy, crazy times. So, so the auction was underway. Yeah, it was. It, it was exciting, and I picked an agent and went from there. So, for the listeners, the essence of the Christmas box is what, what's the distilled synopsis version? Well, it's about a young family that moved in with the widow. And there's something clearly troubling this woman. There's something about her life that can't figure her out. Um, and that she's, she has this sadness to her. And, and, um, but he's, she's also very disturbed about how their relationship is, especially the father, his relationship is with his daughter. And, and so in the end, um, they, they find her at the base of a statue and, and find out that she's, that, you know, why she has these strong feelings. And, and they find a Christmas box in the attic and there's these love letters that she's written over the years. So he thinks that she's had an affair and that, um, that this is some guy that she loved that she never was able to be with and, and then find out the truth about it. That's, and, you, and it's about the power, you know, the importance of childhood and about using these special years and to um, enjoy them and, and live them with love and, and with, um, with gratitude. Absolutely. Before we get into some of your <clears throat> other books, especially the Michael Vase series, I just want everybody to know this, and then let me ask you a very powerful question. In 1997, Richard Evans founded the Christmas Box House International, which is an organization devoted to building shelters and providing services for abused and ne- neglected children. To date, more than 90,000 children have been served by Christmas Box House facilities. So as you started to amass your fame and fortune, and as so many others just turn their wealth inward and become selfish, 78% of professional football players are bankrupt within three and a half years after retirement. And I really believe that karma is a real thing. What goes around comes around. And you've cracked the code, good brother. Your reputation as an author is amazing, but your reputation as a philanthropist is even more amazing. I've got to stop introducing you about this because I always cheer up. Please explain the origin of the Christmas Box House. Tell us what you do there and then share how we can in- get involved, how we can join your tribe and, uh, and donate to your cause. Well, it, it, when we you mentioned that that first uh, first book sold for a, a whopping four point two million dollars, that was just for the American hardcover rights and and their movie rights and everything else that comes with it. And I was um, I was concerned. I I had grown up with financial stress. Um, my parents with eight children, we really struggled during one time uh, about two years. I didn't not only did I not have a bedroom, I didn't have a bed. I slept on the floor in the living room the quilt and and so all of a sudden all this money came in and and i looked at my kids and i thought how is this going to affect them i had seen money destroy people uh, before and so i was very cautious about it i I saw it as it's kind of like having a live wire and a lot of electricity coming in your house it's like well it's a good thing to have a power but but it can also kill you if you're not careful with it and so my wife and I sat down and talked about it, and we decided that we wanted to do something of, of value and, and show our children that, that um, the reason we, we have money is to do good. 
And so we started the quest to build, um, to help children who are at risk. At the time, we didn't know what that was. And so we, first thing we did, we, we got the money and convened a conference of all the child welfare people in the state, the, the NGOs, the government, the church, everything, and asked the question, what do kids need? And learned quickly that these groups didn't like each other, that some of them wouldn't even sit at the same table as other people. And then we learned that um, they all agreed on what needed to happen, but because they were so divided, it couldn't happen, and that they felt like we needed a shelter where we could take children in and evaluate them before just sending them out somewhere, which causes more problems. And so that was the, that was the um, beginning, the genesis of the Christmas Box House. It, um, the first house was $1.3 million over budget and just about bankrupted me. And we didn't receive many donations, so it, it was a painful time, actually. But things just kept going, and, and um, the first four years were miserable. But as soon as we got kids in there, it was a misery you could stand, because it's like, hey, look, <laughs> anything I'm going through, they're going through much worse. And eventually, we, we got our, our feet beneath us. We um, opened a second, larger shelter, and um, now it's been many years. We, we bring these kids in, and... It's amazing. I'm actually, I actually see some of these kids as adults now. They'll come to book signings. In fact, um, do you have time for a story? Yeah, please. I'm at a, I'm at a book signing. I have this long line, and and you know, about fifty yards back, there's this this beautiful um, blonde teenager who keeps like staring at me, which is cool because I'm like fifty. And finally, she gets up to the, gets up to me, and she's shaking. She's so excited to meet me, and I. Tell her, you know, you can come up to the table. And she comes up, she goes, Mr. Evans, my, my whole life I've just wanted to meet you. And I said, do you like my books? She said, I've never read them. I go, well, then why did you want to meet me? And she said, I'm one of your Christmas box house kids. And then she put her arm around this boy next to her who was younger than her and said, this is my brother, Eric. And my, our biological parents were drug addicts. And the last time the state took us away, they said we weren't coming back, uh, but no one that we'd be adopted somewhere, but no one wanted both of us. But fortunately, because we had your shelter, we lived there for three months until mom and dad, you know, someone came along and found both of us and, and adopted us. And if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have a little brother. And wow. she goes, I always just want to thank you for that. I got to have a brother. And, and um, I said, you're doing well. And she goes, life is good. I said, do you want to sign books with me? And she said, yeah. And so she sat down with her brother. We drank Slurpees and signed books. And I thought, you know, that's one of those experiences you never forget. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Dan Clark on VoiceAmerica.com, the Influencers Channel. My guest is the amazing Richard Paul Evans, <clears throat> number one bestseller, who sold over 30 million copies, 30 million copies of his books in print. Let's go to commercial break. Don't go anywhere. We're going to come back and talk about some of these other books and especially his Michael Vay series that has garnered thousands of fans across the world. Commercial break. We'll be back in a minute. Hear the stories. Be motivated. Be inspired. Join us today. Voice America Influencers. Become a member of VoiceAmerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. 
Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit voiceamerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. Do you believe that being fit is difficult? Do you think it requires turning in your favorite comfort foods for boring chicken and broccoli and spending hours in a gym? It doesn't. Tune into Have It All with Devin Alexander. Devin and her guest experts will show you how you can have it all at any age, from relationships to money to thinking bigger than you've ever imagined. Devin will fast-track your goals to yummy reality. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. If you're an event meeting planner like me, you have two ongoing challenges. You can't afford to have a speaker who bombs. And when you do have an amazing speaker, who in the world do you bring into next year's meeting that will top them? Well, you never have to worry again. Book Dan Clark. Dan Clark is one of the most incredible human beings on the planet. He's been named one of the top 10 speakers in the world. He's known for customizing his speech around your meeting theme. So your people leave with benefits that last a lifetime. Here's the number, 1-800-676-1121. Or just visit danclark.com. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. You're listening to The Art of Significance, featuring your host, Dan Clark. If you want to join in on this week's discussion, give us a call at 1-866-472-5795. Again, that's 1-866-472-5795. Or drop Dan a line via email to Clark at xmission.com. Now back to the art of significance. Here again is Dan Clark. If for some reason you've missed the first part of this interview, obviously you need to go back on demand, get the podcast. My interview is with Richard Paul Evans, who first wrote the number one bestseller, The Christmas Box. But since then, six of Richard's books were made into TV movies and have starred well-known actors like Maureen O'Hara, Richard Thomas, Rob Lowe, Christopher Lloyd, James Earl Jones, Naomi Watts, Vanessa Redgrave, and Ellen Bernstein. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's written more than 30 consecutive New York Times bestsellers and was one of the few authors in history to have hit both the fiction and nonfiction bestseller lists. There are currently, as I've said multiple times already on this show, there are currently more than 30 million copies of Richard Paul Evans' books currently in print. Off air while we were at commercial break, I confessed my sins and I said, Richard, I've written so many stories. And I take a lot of pride in being able to write a story, a short story, and edit it so every word pays its own way, which we learn from the music industry. But I confess my sins to Richard off air because I said, have any of you ever been driving down the road and a song comes on and you say, I could have written that. And then another song comes on and you say, there's no way I could have ever written that song. Well, as an author, as a story writer who has an ego, who has some pride, who believes I've I've honed my skills every single time I read a Richard Paul Evans story or a complete book, my self-esteem goes down the toilet. I want to pull over and just sob 
because there's no way I could think or feel the way you do, bro. I want to know and I want all my listeners to, to hear the secret sauce. What's the pixie? What's the... What, what, what's the pixie uh, pixie dust on on writing? How do you ignite? How do you trigger your passion, creativity, and imagination, brother? There's got to be some sort of a little formula. Do you go someplace to get in that mood? How do you ignite the writing in you? And I guess the back end is, have you ever experienced writer's block? And then how do you overcome that and reignite that creative juice when a book's due? Do? I like, I like that, the secret sauce. Well, coming from the advertising profession, um, I've learned to work off deadlines, which is a horrible habit. And so I, I do a lot of cramming, which in the book world is actually a good thing because you find yourself writing long stretches and there's no better way to write a book because then you're in that world and it, it feels like that world. So um, the, you know, you say, where, where does it come from? I, it has. To, I guess. I guess the answer is it. It, it comes from. Um, sometimes it feels like it comes from something external, like the Christmas box. I feel like stories were just coming to me, like it was being whispered to me. Sometimes, like I'd pull off this road and start writing things. And then there's also, but the bigger part is also that um, it, it takes a level of honesty. That that this authenticity that you're not writing. For any reason other than to talk to someone and and to tell to connect as a human so um, a good example of this is I, I wrote a, a blog called how I saved my marriage and some of your listeners will say oh I know that one um, last I checked there are more than 135 million reads and that was more than uh, six months ago so it's probably over 200 million now um, I remember seeing it come across in Portuguese. I recognized my name in it and Carrie's my wife's name. And I looked at it, it's like, and it had it had 11 million reads that week, just in Portuguese. So, um, but after I wrote it, it was about a time, and we can get into the details later if you like. But it was it was about my marriage, and it was very it was very personal. And and my wife, I'm I'm on the <laughs> my wife pages me, and I had posted the day before, and it just goes viral. And I'm watching it just get bigger and bigger and, and watching on the back in the kind of the Google office, it's like, wow, there's 80,000 people reading this right now. I've never seen it just spike like that. And uh, all of a sudden I get, this, I get buzzed on my phone from my wife and she goes, they're talking about your, your marriage blog on the news. She goes, this is so embarrassing. It's like, you've got to stop it. <laughs> well, I mean, you, can't, you can't stop it. That and, sounds and goes, so like Carrie. That's so funny. <laughs> and, and, and then what's what's funny? It's like it's like she's concerned about the news. It's like oh, I have a, I, I just got a call from the Huffington Post. They they want to put it into seven different languages. Oh. It's like the local news was nothing, um, and it just it was so big. And then it was funny at the end. I finally Carrie kept getting angry about this letter about us saving our marriage, and and finally I said, is there anything in it that's not true? I go, you've got to stop this. Is there anything that's not true? And she goes, that's the problem. It's all true. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I said, look. She, and then she said, you share too much. Wow. And at that point, it was, that was an important comment. I said, no, I don't. I said, you have to understand something. I, I was born to write. That's mm. what God gave me. That's why I came here to share these messages. I can't write something that's not true. 
I go, you've heard it said, it's easy to write a novel, you just slit your wrists and let it bleed on the pages. And I, wow. it's like, this is all true. I go, I can't be fake. I can't. I, I, if, I, if I had to pull myself back and, and distance myself from the story, then I could never possibly write. And I said, that is one thing I won't compromise on. I said, I compromise every single day of our marriage. I, you know I love you. You know I always err on your side. I go, but when it comes to that, there is no compromise because that would wow. be an offense to God and it would be offense to truth. And I go, I just, I can't do it. I'd have to just wow. stop writing. So let me ask, let me ask my uh, listeners. So not a job, not a career, but what is your calling? What do you feel compelled to do that if you did not pursue it with every ounce of courage, you would be offending God as, as Richard just taught us there? Richard, as a speaker, you and I both know that we have to be ordinary before we can be extraordinary. And one of the things when I'm around you that always takes me by surprise is your humility, your your true honesty. So I'm here validating what you're saying. I think the listeners need to hear what your pixie dust, what your secret sauce was in this blog and how you did save your marriage, because that's an intriguing commitment that you made for a month, if I remember, to your beautiful Carrie, and just kind of teach us what you did and why it, in fact, made you ordinary so that now we all know you're extraordinary. Well, it started, um, it really started the day we got married. It's like we, we really didn't match that well, and... Um, I certainly had a, brought a lot of baggage coming from a, a somewhat abusive childhood. It's like I brought a lot of baggage to the marriage, and and it just seemed like we just fought all the time. And then as we got, the longer we were married, it didn't. It seemed to become a way of handling life, and it's like it was not a good way to live. And then I and then all of a sudden I write a book and it becomes this bestseller, and it got worse actually, because all of a sudden it brought in all these different um, kinds of pressures. And I remember I was, I was on the Today Show, and I came home, and Carrie's feeling is, take the garbage out. You know, it's like here I'd have, I'm on this high, and, and she decided it was her job to like try to make me low. And it's like, you realize that I'm turning away women constantly, constantly. I go, you realize it's like, and it was like, this is a bad position to be in, okay, for both of us. And um, anyway, this is going on, it's like, she would be mad when I'd be on the road. It's like, this is what I do. You know, I'm on a book tour. And so one time, um, after years of this, I was in um, the, the um, Buckhead, um, Rich Carlton in, in Georgia. And I just called her, and as usual, it was a big fight. She just started um, saying horrible things, and I just hung up on her. And I got in the shower, and I just started screaming at God. I said, this is awful. Why... Why did you let me marry this woman? Why? And I just, I just screamed. And um, it's like, I've got to end this. I can't do this another day. I can't. I can't go back to her. I can't go back to this, this cold woman. I can't. And, um, and finally, after just uh, screaming about all her problems and everything that she was doing wrong, and I finally just sat down, and, and I just, I was broken. And I sat down in the tub, and I said, I don't know how to change her. Just change me. Change my heart. And now it's like, I think it said, now I was talking, right? And something started to happen, and I just I started to receive this inspiration of what to do. And I knew exactly what I needed to do. So the next day I flew home, 
and she was cold. You know, didn't say anything to me, and and didn't even say hi when I got home. And and that night we got in bed, and we a million miles apart, even though we're a few inches apart. And so the next morning, I wake up, I turn to her, and I said, "What can I do to make your day better?" She said, "What?" I said, "What can I do to make your day better?" And she goes, "Why are you asking me that?" I said, "Because I want to know." She goes, "That's a stupid thing to ask." And I go, what can I do to make your day better? She goes, okay, um, go clean the garage. I said, okay. So I went and cleaned the garage. It took me hours, and she knew I had a busy day, and it was a spiteful thing on her part, but I did it, and no complaints. And the next day I got up, and I said, um, what can I do to make your day better? And she said, go do the dishes. Go clean the kitchen. I said, Okay. I got up and I went and cleaned the kitchen and next day got up and I said, what can I do to make your day better? She goes, stop asking me that. And I go, I, I, I can't. I, I made a commitment. It's like, to who? To me, to us. And she goes, just stop. I go, no, I, I can't stop. What can I do to make your day better? She goes, then do this. So I went and did it. Next day, I got up and said, what can I do to make your day better? And she just blew up. And then all of a sudden, she broke down crying. And she said, you're not the problem. I'm the problem. You're kind to me, and I'm mean to you. And I'm jealous, and I'm scared I'm going to lose you, and I'm, I have a temper. And she goes, stop, please stop. And at that moment, it's just like this wake up. Um, and I said, I said, honey, I'm not going to stop. I know that you have problems with us. I said, but you need to know that I am, I am completely committed to whatever it takes. And I will, I am here completely. And so the, right now, you can work on yourself later if you want, but I, I need to be the solution right now. What can I do for you today? to make your day better. And she looked at me and she said, could we have lunch together? I just smiled and said, I would love to have lunch. And it went on. I just went on. And then pretty soon she started rolling over and saying, what can I do to make your day better? And, um, you know, we still, after all these years, I, I can't say that we never fought again, but the fights were never the same. It's like we took all the oxygen out of them. It was, it was like, Okay, I've seen you at I've you've seen me at my worst and you're not going to ever leave me and it was that going with humility and kind of, you know, I, did you see the um that show with um Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie the 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 Smiths? Absolutely. That's that's the movie where they actually fell in love, yeah. Exactly. You know when they're you know when they're fighting, they're fighting and they're trying to kill each other and all of a sudden she puts <laughs> the gun to his head and he goes, "Do it." Yep. Yeah, I, I yeah. can't. He goes, that was powerful. I mean, it was, it, he uh, goes, just pull it her. I can't hurt you. I can't. I can't. Oh, yeah. just, I, I can't do it. She's like, stop it. Stop. Put, put, fight. Fight. I'm like, no, I'm done. And it's like, wow. and that's when they like, he drops her gun and they fall in love. And, but, but that was what it was like. It was like, there was all of a sudden this moment where trust was established and true love. And I am so grateful for that experience. Because, you know, so often um, what we call love is really just camouflage self-interest. True love is, is not to 
is not to love a thing. It's to care for a thing, to care for its happiness. And truly, any other relationship is really not worth it. So to get up in the morning and say, what do you need to be happy? Our job is to, make, is to provide a scenario where we can thrive and be happy for each other. And anything else is, is just fake. It's not worth having. And that's what's happened. I, I love my wife. I love our marriage. And we actually got in a conversation about the old days, and I just kind of felt sick to my stomach. And we looked at each other. It's like, those are awful days. It hurts to even talk about them. We should, I wish we could just like leave them completely like they never happened, but they did happen. But it's also a testimony to, to what can happen when you make the commitment to, love, to real love and not self-interest. And, and so anyway, that blog has just gone nuts and um, it still bothers her. <laughs> but, no, but what is but so, inc- what is, keep going, sorry, brother. Well, I was just going to say, but she's had so many friends come up and tell her that it saved their marriage. The people mm-hmm. she didn't know were having marriage problems. Or I remember almost immediately she had a, had a good friend call and say, that blog saved my daughter's marriage. Mm-hmm. She was, thank your husband. And, and, and so she was getting these kinds of calls as well. So she knows it's made a difference. And, and um, I think now she just likes to play like she's mad. That's funny. <laughs> but, the, but the raw vulnerability that you brought to this story, the raw truth you know, I love to philosophize. Love is a commitment, not a way of feeling. Romance is not love. Romance comes from a Greek word that means erotic, so I never want to talk about it. And as I put tongue in cheek, if I love you because you're beautiful, that's romance. If you're beautiful because I love you, that's real love. It's a value-creating love that inspires us to be the best that we can be. Yet how many of us confuse love, commitment with romance, emotion? What have we said our whole lives? Oh, I love her so much. She makes me feel differently than I've ever felt before. Oh, I love him so much. He makes me feel differently than I've ever felt before. So do breakfast burritos. So what you (laughs) taught us is that I love you means absolutely nothing unless we back it up with action. So listeners, ladies and gentlemen, Richard Paul Evans is my guest. He's a number one just international runaway best-selling author. But you just heard a personal story that could easily that could easily be put into a short a short book. It's a powerful short story. It could be a movie, you know, uh, Sling Blade with Billy Bob. That that started as an eight minute short and turned into a ninety minute feature film. So who knows? Maybe this blog has got some legs, brother. <laughs> uh, my publisher has asked for a book on it. Um, oh my gosh! I, it just I think that would be carry. I, I asked her, "How do you feel?" She's like, "Really?" <laughs> I go, "There." Uh, think about it. Now that, <laughs> they can read that, the blog. Yeah, but the whole uh, the whole message about how to save your marriage could be, you know, amplified. How do you just how do you create real relationships? How do you come to how you how can you be present in every moment and actually change? You know, even Harvard Business Review says that everything we learn about about uh, leadership happens before we're twenty five years of age. And you just confess that you were a father, you were married, you were well past 25, and yet you decided on a, on a, on a moment's notice to change. The man in the mirror, that's extraordinary, Richard. I'm so glad you shared that. In our last few minutes, what I want to do is I want to just change the emphasis here, brother. I want to talk about this, 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 this com- you, you just completed your seventh novel in the Michael Vay series. And the precursor to this question and answer session, as you talk to us about Michael Vay and about the series, 
the, 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 the reminder for all of us is this. Richard just shared, he just opened his heart and he just unbuttoned his vest and said, this is an, a real experience that happened to me and this is what I learned from it and this is what you can learn from it too. So you gave us a call to action just by sharing that, that story about you and your wife. Michael Vey, the series, teaches us so many things that we need to understand about self-esteem and about personal development and about relationships and communication. So please just take us to the very first volume. How did you how did you create Michael Vay and teach us about the the amazing lessons that we learn right off the bat with my daughter being a special education teacher and having that conversation when you and I ran into each other climbing a mountain a, a few weeks ago. And you just shared, oh my gosh, we don't put the per- that we don't put the emphasis on the disability. We don't put the emphasis on the action of a person. There's a giant difference between the person and the performance. And we compliment the person, not what they do. And it seems to me that this is the essence of who Michael Vay is. And now everybody knows how you could have conve- con- how you could have conceived this concept, this character, and teach us about the series. Will you please? Well, Michael, um, thank you for asking. Uh, M- Michael is a um, it's, he's a 15 year old boy who has Tourette syndrome, and he also has electrical powers. He can shock people. And uh, powers are getting stronger and stronger. And so when I first wrote the start of the series seven years ago, I wanted to write something for my son, Michael, who has Tourette syndrome. I have Tourette syndrome. And I guess it was maybe in part guilt because I gave it to him. He genetically got it from me. And watching him struggle and knowing my own struggles, um, I wanted to show that his disabilities are not, are not what defines us and that we all have electricity within us. We all have something special. And so that was the first book um, first book I wrote. And uh, in that series, it was Michael Vey, uh, The Prisoner of Cell 25. And it was also one of those stories that no one, no one wanted. I couldn't find a publisher. My publisher offered me um, very little. They thought the book series would sell uh, 35,000 copies in its lifetime. Mm. We're just approaching 3 million copies right now. Um, but we brought it out, and I mean, I started to look around. And I thought, you know what, this book will find itself. I said, I was, I told my agent, I said, look, I've, I've been rejected before. It was called the Christmas Box, and it was uh, my biggest book yet, my biggest book ever. And and so, um, sure enough, I get a phone call from the radio show host Glenn Beck, who is. We just have a talk. I tell him about Michael Vane. He goes, "Well, send it to me." And next thing I know, he's madly in love with it, and uh, we bring it out. And the book not only debuts at number one, by day two, it's in its sixth printing. It, 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 it's like blowing everything out. And, and um, since then, I've written, there's seven books in the series. Um, it's a young adult novel, but um, a lot of adults, in fact, initially, almost all adults were reading the books. But the book is empowering for youth. In fact, just before this radio show interview, I came from a hospital. I was visiting a young man. One of my readers emailed me and said, my son is in a psychiatric ward. The only thing he's responding to is Michael Vay. Is there, she goes, I know it's crazy to ask. Is there any way you'd visit him? So I went up to see him. I took him a Michael Vay poster and a book, and I just went and talked to him about his own electricity. And um, that's what the book has done around the world. I, a little French girl wrote me and said, I, 
She, it was cute. She wrote, you probably have been wondering where I've been, Mr. Evans. And <laughs> she writes a lot. And, and um, she said, I haven't been writing because I'm not doing well. I'm in the hospital. I tried to kill myself. Mm. And she said, I only have one friend in this world, and he's here with me, and that's Michael Vay. Wow. And so um, we reached out to her immediately and told her that I love her and Michael loves her and that she has power within herself and that these are hard years, but hang in there, she was going to do well, and that Michael has to face the Elgin and, the Elgin and Dr. Hatch and these, the evil, and so do you, but you can do it. You're up to it. And now she writes me every single day. That's um, amazing. It's, it's all around the world. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. And I, I, you're, you're, when your daughter told me that she um, teaches you know, special education, education and special needs, and I said, I get letters from special needs every single day that these kids, um, I have kids with autism come to every book signing. Mm. And I don't know the magic of it, but it does something. Absolutely. And Michael Vay, your son's name is Michael. And as Richard and I inadvertently ran into each other on the same path as myself, my wife, and my daughter were hiking, two daughters were hiking up the hill. Richard had already summited and he was on his way down with Michael. What a great dad you are. What a great inspiration you are to all of us. And in the home especially, tell us what Michael just accomplished in his life. And I'm going to throw this in because of the inspiration of his dad and mom. Michael just came back from Mount Everest, and he, um, he didn't climb the mountain. He climbed a base camp, and um, when you understand the mountains that he's had to overcome in his life, we're so proud of him that he would take this on. He came back um, very confident and feeling good about himself. He's climbed bigger mountains than Everest, but um, we're proud of him, and, and I thought it was a great metaphor of his life and what he's able to do, and he's a good kid, and I love that boy with all my heart. Um, We've been through some really hard years, and I'm grateful. I'm grateful that God gave me enough love to to stick with their, the hard times, and it did. Yeah. It got you know we've been through some hard stuff, you know, some really hard stuff, and but there's trust there. He knows I would die for him, and um, he knows it literally, and um, it makes all the difference. You know, we can have honest talks. It's like you know, I'm not in this for me. I'm here for you, son, you know, and so, you know, being a parent is the most difficult thing you'll ever do, but, um, man, what else would you do? It's, it's such a blessing. Uh, it, it, it's the greatest marathon and challenge you'll ever have. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm going to put you on the hot seat, brother. I want to ask you a couple of key questions. Listeners, I wish, you know, you can go on the promo and you can see Richard Paul Evans as this this superstar stud muffin hunk of burning love. You look like a flipping model. You got perfect hair, always have a perfect tan. You got the multi-gajillion dollar smile. The thing that makes makes me smile inside, brother, though, is when I see the way Carrie looks at you and the way you look at her. It's real love. The way you communicate with your children, it's real love. And uh, you're exactly the same on the page as you are off the page and that could be my greatest compliment that every time I'm around you you're exactly the same on stage as you are off stage and I love you for that I honor you hot seat I just want you to convey from your experience two questions what bit of advice if you had one hour to live if you had a last lecture what advice would you give to uh, a husband what advice would you give to a a father, and what advice would you give to an author? 
Um, the author is the easiest one. The author, I, w- I would say, write what's true to you. Um, don't chase success because it will, it will elude you. Let success find you in doing what's best. Talk, write what you, what is real, what you can really write. And you'll know it when you write it because you're not faking. Um, for a, a father, what, what I would say is put the time in. Um, Keep your priorities. You know, your first kingdom is you and God. Your second kingdom is you and your family. You know, keep keep those together. Um, stay close to to that primal life force. You know, what brought you here, and um, be true to yourself, and also love yourself. You know, I think we live in a time when fathers are really have been really hurt. They've been damaged. They've been they've been marginalized, and um, it's wrong. It's, and I, you know, you know, I've, 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 I reach out to men with 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 love and say, look. You know, it's, it's going to be unsung, a lot of what you do, but it's still worth it, and it's still the right thing to do. So, and um, as a husband, um, you know, love, just um, be, you know, really look at the relationship as something that can be a real positive, and it's not, then figure out why it's not, and ask yourself, what do you really want? And if, and if she just doesn't want it, I mean, there's nothing you can do, but, you know, but figure it out first. Figure out what do you really want? What should a relationship be? And um, build, a, build a happy home. Build a place where kids can thrive and where you can thrive and where life is good. Because we do better with a partner. You know, life sure. alone uh, isn't, isn't glamorous. And, um, you know, find a partner and someone, a life witness, and someone to go through with. It's a blessing. But yes, it's going to take, take work. Never expect it's going to happen. And um, it's going to take a lot of tolerance. But all life does. And she's going to show the worst parts of you. And you're going to show the worst parts of her. You're going to trigger all these little landmines in each other. Let it happen. Because it's the only way you're going to, you're going to get free and clear and, and, uh, and understand yourself. So, anyway. so profound. That's, last, my, that's my two bits. Okay. But now the, 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 the last part. You created, with your vision, with your passion, with your spirituality, you've created a men's movement. Take a minute just to explain what that is, how we can support it, and then before we go to commercial break and come back with my next amazing guest, Angie Fenimore, tell us how we can join your tribe, brother, how we can how we can uh, stay in touch with you. So please talk to us about the men's movement and then give us the, the contact info. Yeah. Um, what happened, I went to a men's retreat, and I'd never done anything like this before, and I soon realized that these men were um, incredibly in crisis. Out of 14 men from all different states, um, half of them had either attempted suicide or were planning their suicide, and none of them had friends. I soon found that, and I thought, well, that includes me. Um, I don't have any male friends, and, and I realized that men have become incredibly isolated, and after I got home, I'm lying in bed, and I just hear this little voice that says, save my sons. I think I don't. I don't really do well with men. I have, I have hundreds of thousands of women readers, but men are that's a different matter. And and it just kept coming to me, save my sons. And so I, I didn't know what to do. I just started hanging out with some guys, called some guys, and we started a tribe. And we call it Tribe of Kings. Kings is spelled with the Y. Tribe of Kings. And we have three rules in our group. There's first of all authenticity. You have to be honest. Second, no shame, which makes it easy to be honest. Uh, men have suffered enough cultural shame. And third, um, no bullying. And this group is just growing. It's just growing. Men are just, it's, it's organically growing. I haven't tried to grow it, and I can't, I'm having trouble keeping up with the growth. 
So our plan is to start tribes all around the world. Uh, we have we have many cities already. We have other countries where people want to bring tribes in. We're just trying to make sure we get it right. We're on the ground level now. But um, I have to tell you, it's one of the most satisfying things I've ever done. And the wives and girlfriends of those men in the group, um, they love it. They just they, they have thanked me so many times for starting this group and making their men healthier and happier. We don't exclude, a reporter asked me, who do you exclude? We don't exclude anyone. And I said one of our first members was gay, one of our first members is black. It's like it doesn't, I, I, we don't, we're here in love. We're, our foundation is love. That sounds weird for a men's group, but we don't care because men need love. And I don't know whoever got the idea that we don't. Um, and so we have developed, I've developed friendships here that will last forever. And it's so satisfying and it's so much fun. And so if they want to know more, um, we're tribeofkings.com. Again, kings is spelled K-Y-N-G-S, kings with a Y, uh, which is the original way it was spelled. And, um, you know, as we start to grow, if you have interest, um, you know, in your cities, you know, contact us and, uh, you know, we'll talk because we're going we're gonna to take this worldwide. Absolutely. And how do we join your, your personal tribe? Do you have an email? Do you have a, a website? How can we get in touch with you, especially, <laughs> especially as a professional speaker, brother? You know, I'm a huge fan of yours. And we've discussed the art of public speaking a few times. How can someone hire you? And, and call you and use you to come in to enhance their uh, their, their meeting in a business sense. Oh, just just go to my website, richardpaulevans.com, dot uh, com, or to go to my yeah my website, or to go to my Facebook. I have a very active Facebook, my fan page, uh, not my friend page. That's a small one, but the fan page is um, you know ninety thousand something fans on it, and just go on there, and I I read that every day, and um, that's the best place to find me. All right. We've been talking with Richard Paul Evans. Um, His first book was the number one bestseller, The Christmas Box. He has over 30 million copies of his books in print. Currently, I think his most famous seven novel series called Michael Vey is touching the hearts and minds of young people across our country. And obviously, you've heard his story and his vulnerability on how we save our marriages, how we enhance the quality of our relationships. Richard, I love you. I honor you. You flatter me to be on my show. I can't wait to see you. And hopefully we don't have to run into each other climbing a mountain (laughs) the next time we can actually go to dinner and I can pick your brain about all the other things that fascinate me about moving your family to Italy and blah, 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 blah. You are the most amazing, inspirational guy I've ever had on the show. So thank you, my friend. And I, uh, I appreciate you. Thank you, Dan. It's my pleasure. Take care. Thanks, brother. So before we go to commercial break, don't go anywhere. Angie Fenimore is a best-selling author with Random House, Simon & Schuster, UK Pocketbooks, and others. She's a dear friend. She is so beautiful on the outside, so incredibly beautiful on the inside. And as I package my guests together to have a general theme for my shows, obviously I'm not religiously dedicated to taking breaks at the 15-minute, 30-minute, and 45-minute marks during my two-hour shows. Obviously, we need to go to commercial break and pay for the airtime and acknowledge our sponsors, but what we got to do is make sure that my guests have an opportunity to say what they need to say and teach us what they know. And of all the people that I've had an opportunity to interact with, Angie Fenimore is the perfect frosting to the Richard Paul Evans cake. 
I hope Richard doesn't get offended by that, but I know him so well. He's he's going to flip me crap about that. So now you're calling me a cake or a pie. Thanks, Danny boy. But there's no better frosting on a writer's conference or a writer's desire to become a writer. We're all writers, but we have to figure out a way to to finally tune our passion and and figure out the processes and the systems and the technology behind how do you put your thoughts and feelings onto paper. Angie finally forged her wealth of experience and writing talent to create the highly successful Calliope Writing Coach uh, Writers Conferences, courses, programs, and private coaching. Yes, I've written 34 books, and as I publicly and privately share When I attended Angie Fenimore's writing conference, a course, a three-day course with curriculum, with, with a workbook study guide, she blew my mind and took my writing skills and more importantly, triggered my passion, creativity, and imagination in a way that had never happened before. And I kick myself every day that I didn't know Angie Fenimore back in the day when I first became an author back in 1982 before she was born. Uh, Let's go to commercial break. Don't go anywhere, but grab your friends, your family members, anyone in your life who you know wants to write a book, wants to become a prolific communicator, pen and page, And don't go anywhere. I love this woman, and you will too. Let's go to commercial break. Dan Clark, voiceamerica.com, Influencers Channel. We'll be back in a second with Angie Fenimore. We don't follow. We lead. Join us. The Voice America Influencers Channel. I just got out of a meeting where the unbelievable Dan Clark was the keynote speaker. He is clearly the most interesting man in the world. He's been into space. He reminded us to think bigger. He's a primary contributor to those chicken soup books. And he inspired all of us to make our lives matter. He taught us how to deal with change like he had to when he had to recover from a paralyzing football injury. Everybody needs to hear his message on leadership and safety and how he turns last place NFL teams into Super Bowl champions. Call this number. 1-800-676-1121 and visit danclark.com Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. I'm busy and so is my family. Leftover pizza and unhealthy takeout isn't really doing it for us anymore. Just ask my bathroom scale. That all changed when I found Freshly. For less than $10 a meal, Freshly delivers six meals a week, always fresh, never frozen, prepared by top chefs and nutritionists using the best, freshest, gluten-free ingredients. The best part is the menu is always new and fresh, just like the food, and it only takes three minutes for me to prepare breakfast, lunch, or dinner, and there's no messy cleanup and no dishes. 
My family loves the choices and the taste and Freshly delivers to my home and my office so I eat healthy all day every day. If you're tired of the same old cardboard delivery and takeout, try out Freshly.com today and save $20 on your first order using coupon code VAH639 at Freshly.com. Your taste buds and your scale will thank you. So save 20 bucks today with coupon code VAH639 at Freshly.com. Influence is often inherited, but more often created from our actions. The Voice America Influencers Channel brings together those who are creating and leading the way and those who will create the road from nowhere in the future. Being an influencer isn't always about being the most important person in the world. It's about being the most influential person in the world around you. A better manager, a better friend, a better marketer or strategic planner. The Voice America Influencers Channel is about becoming better and earning influence. Be an influencer. Join us today. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. You're listening to The Art of Significance featuring your host, Dan Clark. If you want to join in on this week's discussion, give us a call at 1-866-472-5795. Again, that's 1-866-472-5795. Or drop down a line via email to danclark at xmission.com. Now back to the Art of Significance. Here again is Dan Clark. Welcome back. We've had on our show as, as the first guest Richard Paul Evans, who has 30 million, more than 30 million copies of his books in print. Definitely his first book, his most famous book, it's called The Christmas Box, also made into a made-for-television movie. And why would I have Richard Paul Evans on the show? Just because I love books and I love authors? No, it's because of the message that he shares with us and his his validation that we must become ordinary. We must be ordinary before we can become extraordinary. But it's it's like, okay, so now what do we do? Listeners are going, okay, that was wonderful, but can I do it too? I have so much to share. I have so many stories. I want to write a book. And I don't want to leave anybody hanging. So I've invited as my second guest to take us right to the end of the show, the famous and the beautiful, the amazing Angie Fenimore. I read part of her 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 success story as a best-selling author with Random House, Simon & Schuster, UK Pocket Books, and others. But what I want you to know is that Angie trains aspiring and seasoned writers alike to wake up their natural ability to write compelling stories. Remember what Rick Evans said, be honest, tell your stories, be you, share what you think and feel and put it on paper. And that's exactly what Angie does in her amazing writing, coaching conferences and courses. She helps the ordinary, the you and me, to learn the art and science of writing stories and writing books. Writers alike wake up their natural ability to write compelling stories, craft effective pitches, obviously to our our agents and especially ultimately to the publishers, and to dismantle their barriers to writing and publishing success. Angie provides tools, I'm an expert eyewitness, that transform every writer's experience of self-promotion, writer's block, and the creative process. Literary agents, managing editors for publishing houses, and best-selling authors rave about Angie's exceptional talent for simplifying the art and science behind writing and publishing success. 
Calliope, I had to practice saying that about seven times to make sure everybody knew that I was fluent in Latin or Greek or whatever the heck it is. Calliope Writing Coach is for writers of every genre, fiction, nonfiction, horror, uh, whatever you want, at every skill level and at every stage of manuscript completion, better than 95%, let me repeat this, better than 95% of Calliope students receive manuscript submission requests out of the conferences. Angie loves serving as midwife to important books and inspired new voices. I challenge you to go on the promo side of Influencers Channel on voiceamerica.com so you can see the beautiful portrait, the beautiful headshot of Angie Fenimore. And now in the remaining minutes, you can see how beautiful she is on the inside. Angie, 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 welcome to my show. I wish you were in my my studio so I could hug you, but let's get on with the talk. Oh, (laughs) thank you, Dan. You're just extraordinary. I just adore you. Uh, You're wonderful. As I said earlier, I wish so badly I had met you decades ago. Because I would been I would have been a much better writer so much sooner just with your simple secret sauce and your techniques and your proven proven formula. So let's just get right let's get right to the question. Okay. As as I introduced Rick Evans, for those of you who might have just tuned in, as I interviewed Richard Paul Evans as a runaway international best-selling author. I expressed how significant it is for us to become writers, for us to become journal mm-hmm. journalers. And when my dad died, I wrote him a letter. I still have it in my top drawer of my desk in my library. And it's so therapeutic for us to get out what what is inside so that it doesn't bottle up and fester, if you will. If it happens to be mm-hmm. negative or emotional, we can get it out. So the right. therapy involved in writing is extraordinary. But other than that, how teach us how everyone can be and already is a writer and how you can help us figure it out and gain the confidence that yes we should continuously write and then t- later on in our interview we'll talk about how do you can how you could turn our writing into actually writing a book great well you know you said it down here's the thing is that writing is i mean addiction therapists know this um, writing is one of the most effective forms of therapy and i know as a writing coach that even if you're writing sci-fi fantasy you are healing. You know, you cannot um, fill a vessel that's already full. You must empty the vessel. And so when you actually just get that out of you, pull it out of you, what you do is you create space for healing. I've seen people reading cookbooks, writing picture books, you know, and of course the gut-wrenching memoirs or, you know, any genre and have catharsis and experience of healing, which... You know, this is something that you can't, you know, it's like riding a bicycle. I tell you all the day long how to ride a bicycle. I can give you all the manuals until you get on that bike and experience balance for yourself. You know, you actually don't learn a thing. So you have to actually write. You actually have to start getting that story out of you. So, you know, something that um, that we said is that every human, I should say, I say it, and then, of course, I train all my faculty to say it, too. But um, you're a writer. You've been a writer since you were born, since your great-great-grand-cave parents started drawing on the wall. And then we started surviving um, belonging to the tribe 
because that's the bottom line. Human beings, it is a need like air, like water, like, you know, sustenance to belong, you know, like physical affection, to belong to the tribe. And as we start to sort out belonging to the tribe, when, typically when we go to kindergarten um, and finding our place and, um, you know, not messing things up for ourselves, not being picked last for dodgeball, um, what that does is it starts to shut down our creativity. There's a very good reason why nobody's raising their hands anymore by the time we get to middle school. Because we're very good at surviving. We're not so great at tapping into that creative side. It's your birthright, you know. And stories change the world. I was um, at Writers' Conference in Manhattan um, several years ago, which was actually, this is where it began, Calliope writing courses. Um, and I was headed back home, hauling my luggage down 46th Street, headed back to Grand Central Station, and um, and it was St. Patrick's Day, so you could imagine it was very loud, and you know a lot of people in sequins, you know, stumbling down the sidewalk, and I um, I hear this man say, "You can't change the world, but you can change an idea." So I have to stop and watch, and he says it to you know several people that walk by, and then of course I've got to traipse over and argue with them because. I believe you can change the world. I say, you know, Martin Luther King did it. Gandhi did it. Mother Teresa changed the world. Even Steve Jobs changed the world. And he said, they didn't change the world. They changed an idea and the world could follow, could do nothing less than follow suit. And though I missed my flight, I actually hung out with him for an hour and um, we packed him with Christopher Lee Cobb paper board signed his from Alaska and we made a pact right then and there. We're changing the world one idea at a time and who can reach people who can actually influence the world and change ideas. It's writers. It's filmmakers, musicians and writers books. That's, that's the world changes. And if you think about it, um, to kill mockingbird changed the conversation for social injustice. Star Wars changed for all of us. Um, gave us all permission so, and voice, you know, that tracks guides for truth. That is when it became, you know, in the popular culture to be able to talk about spirituality. We can thank Star Wars for that. So even fiction changes lives. Yeah. And you cannot reread a telephone. I don't telephone. even know if I answered your question. No, you did. <laughs> and you can't, and you cannot reread a telephone conversation. So the yeah, idea of exactly. writing something down, you know, I'm sitting here in my library. It's where I'm, uh, I'm hosting my show today. When I'm on the road, I sh- host it from my, my, my hotel room or a nice, you know, quiet conference room in a, in a hotel. But I'm in my home library and to my left, hanging on my, my wall, it's my I Love Me room. It's the man cave. I have what is called a medicine bag that was given to me by a Native American chief, a Native American leader of the Cree Indian Nation. And he explained to me the tradition um, of a medicine bag. And it has two purposes. The outside is decorated by the person who gives it to you. And each, each bead, each feather, each strand of leather, uh, whether it's deer skin or buffalo, uh, skin, it doesn't matter what it's made of, it means something to the giver of the medicine bag. But the significance of the inside of the bag, which was explained to me by this this Native American chief, he said that what I decide to put in the bag is what gives me my personal power. 
and it's not for anyone else's mm-hmm. eyes unless I decide to open it and share that with them. And inside my medicine bag are handwritten uh, documents, a letter, a story in my dad's own handwriting. I I find personal power and connection with my dad who passed away way back in 1990 through his writing, through his his actual handheld pen and paper and what he explained to me and what he left to the world. I am such a fan of writing. Teach us what what the first step would be for a listener to turn off the internet right now to exit our show when we're done, obviously, the top of the hour. And what would you suggest that the per- the person, any person, every single one of us what do we need to do very first to be cut, to prove to ourselves that we're in fact writers as you claim we are? Well, you know, it's interesting you mentioned you mentioned the the medicine bag. Um, you know, we keep uh, my husband and I, who runs the courses with me, um, we keep a box of empowering notes anytime you know somebody has said something that you know you changed my life. So during those down moments. Because, you know, all it takes is for, for us to experience about seven seconds of being disempowered and seeing we don't have it in us and we're toast for two years. Pick it back up. Two years. We keep that. You know, I have lived on the horoscope that I, I you know, I mean, no apology. Let me interrupt yeah. you for one. Let me interrupt you for one second. I asked um, Matt, my engineer. If you were cutting in and out, and you're cutting in and out just a little bit, and I definitely don't want any of the listeners to to mm. miss what you're, what you're talking about. Let's just go to okay. commercial break, ladies and gentlemen. This is Dan Clark, VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to the Influencers Channel. My amazing guest is Angie Fenimore, a best-selling author. But more importantly, she has turned her expertise and her passion into teaching others how to write and how to get published she has the successful Calliope Writing Coach Writers Conferences, courses, programs, and private coaching. Don't go anywhere. We'll clear up the uh, discrepancy in the quality of your microphone while we're at break. We'll be back in a moment. Hear the stories. Be motivated. Be inspired. Join us today. Voice America Influencers. Become a member of VoiceAmerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit voiceamerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. If you're an event meeting planner like me, you have two ongoing challenges. You can't afford to have a speaker who bombs. And when you do have an amazing speaker, who in the world do you bring into next year's meeting that will top them? Well, you never have to worry again. Book Dan Clark. Dan Clark is one of the most incredible human beings on the planet. He's been named one of the top 10 speakers in the world. He's known for customizing his speech around your meeting theme. So your people leave with benefits that last a lifetime. Here's the number, 1-800-676-1121. Or just visit danclark.com. 
What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. You're listening to The Art of Significance, featuring your host, Dan Clark. If you want to join in on this week's discussion, give us a call at 1-866-472-5795. Again, that's 1-866-472-5795. Or drop Dan a line via email to Clark at xmission.com. Now back to the Art of Significance. Here again is Dan Clark. Welcome back. We're with my guest, Angie Fenimore. My first guest today in today's show was Richard Paul Evans, who's a runaway international best-selling author. And I thought the most important thing that we could do for my second guest is to invite my dear friend and uh, one of my heroes, Angie Fenimore, to join me because she is a best-selling author with Random House, Simon & Schuster, UK Pocketbooks, and others. But more importantly and more significantly, she has dedicated her life as a writer's conference junkie for over 25 years and then finally forged her wealth of experience and writing talent to create her very own highly successful Calliope Writing Coach Writers Conferences, Courses, Programs, and Private Coaching. While we're interrupting with this commercial message, uh, Angie, tell us how we can get a hold of you, how we can sign up for this Calliope Writing Coach Writers Conference and your online courses. How do we get a hold of you? Great. Well, um, first of all, I'm going to give you a phone number. You can actually just text me, info at 310-340-0630. And you could also just text inspiration to the same number. It's 310-340-0630. And you'll get inspiration every couple of days. Um, And you can find my website at calliopewritingcoach.com. Okay, for those of us who are like me, remember, I'm a dumb football player. My cholesterol counts higher than my SAT scores. Spell calliope. (laughs) We're not Greek. (laughs) You bet. C-A-L-L-I-O-P-E. She is the muse of epic poetry. Daughter of Zeus. Yep. Very cool. Of course you are. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so let's get on with this interview. Okay. I'm fascinated. So, so... You fill your room. Let's just play this along. Play play along with me, listeners. You sign up for this Calliope Writers Conference. This course. You come into a room. You're filled. You're you're one of many strangers, bumper to bumper. You're sitting in a U-shaped room. You have a workbook study guide in front of you. Angie Fenimore is introduced to all of us sitting there. Take us to day one. Take us to opening act. How do you convince every single one of us in this room that we can be writers, that we should be writers? Well, you know, the thing is, is um, I just, I, there's nothing really special about me. I operate from a set of tools and I'm dyslexic. Yeah, I'm a best-selling author and I'm dyslexic. And it's a gift. I can see from the way Einstein could see the atoms. I can see 
how everything works together and then I can see the little points. So what I did is I reverse engineered what the masters do. Um, and I've created some very cool tools that anybody can use. I really can train anybody to write. I mean, we've had people that are suffering from schizophrenia, um, who have stutters, who, um, you know, just like have never written a thing in their life. And then we also have experts in the field like you, of course. And, you know, we, we change the way they see is what we do. And, um, you know, I was um, speaking earlier about human beings, like we have this fundamental need to belong and we don't see this. We, we must belong, but, but first and foremost, we must believe that we belong because belief is more powerful than fact. And the minute you started associating with the larger group, you had to find your niche. And what you found is that there's, there's one um, head cheerleader, there's one quarterback, there's one class clown, there's one you know, lead in the school play. So we all went about finding where we belong and you know, learning how to survive that, not disrupting it, because we didn't want to be called out. As human beings, we relate to the experience of banishment, just get away above the fear of death, you know, rejection, failure. And when you're writing, once you get, you know, yourself in that world of publishing, what you find is there's a whole lot of rejection. Most writers will stop at six, six rejections. But if you talk to most writers, you know, they've been rejected a lot. Um, Catherine Stockett, The Help, 60,000 or, you know, I'm sorry, 60 rejections. She, she was rejected 60 times before. And I could keep going on about that. But so that's what you're up against when you decide that you're going to write. So what we do is we go to the source, the source, which would be the experience that you matter. And what your crazy, amazing brain did to, you know, squelch that creativity. Because what happened as you were getting better and better at, um, you know, belonging to the group, your creativity was shut down. And so what we do is we awaken all of that. So we have some very basic rules, but then, you know, it takes three days to train you in them. But it's create with your words because who knows what's true? You know, women and men aren't even seeing the same colors of red. Did you know that? Um, it's extraordinary what we take in and assume is truth. Our eyes are seeing 20% and our brain is filling in the rest from memory. So imagine what your point of view is doing, what your, you know, especially, you know, how you see yourself. So create with your words and then operate with integrity. And what I say integrity, I'm not talking about right and wrong. What I'm talking about is all things working in harmony, like our universe, like a chair missing a leg doesn't work. It's not an evil chair. It's not a bad chair. It's just not, you know, integrous actually. So, and how you operate with integrity is you, do what you say you'll do. And if you can't, because we're human and we can't always do what we say we'll do, what you do then is you clean it up and you restore integrity around the small things like, you know, missing a doctor's appointment or telling your kids you're taking it to the movies and then you have a flood in the house. Restore that integrity because the problem with it is that it reduces you as a human being and your ability to create with your words and believe yourself. You start relating to yourself as a liar, and then that just gets backlogged and backlogged and backlogged until pretty soon you say, oh, yeah, that person, Richard Paul Evans, he can, you know, create this bestseller, and he can do what she does. I can't. That's where that comes from. That's where that experience comes from. So when you clean up, 
wherever you've broken your word, and I mean around the little things, miracles start happening. And then you've got to act anyway, regardless of what your, your thoughts are telling you, your emotions are telling you, your physical experience is telling you, because your brain is keeping you alive and it's doing a really good job of that. Not doing such a good mm-hmm. job of supporting you in being creative and sharing a message that changes the world. It's just not that great at that because it's really busy keeping you safe. safe. Yes, ma'am. So regardless of what everything else about your brain and your body are telling you, you do it anyway. So let's go to uh, let's do to a let's go to a question that I think is is kind of a universal question. I believe that everybody is a writer just like you do. They just need to learn your tools and go through your system. Mm-hmm. My last book that I sold to Penguin Random House, uh, I spent most of my money on an editor, on a good editor. I did not hire a ghost writer. I've written, I still have calluses on my fingers. I've written mm-hmm. every single one of my 34 books on on yellow pads with an actual pen in hand on airplanes in the basement around a fire, listening to jazz, whatever the case may be. And so I know that I'm not a great writer necessarily, and I might not be grammatically correct. Well, Ernest Hemingway, he's the famous guy for having one run-on sentence that goes about 11 pages Mm -hmm. with no punctuation. So my question to you is, because we all need to write and we need to journal and, 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 and and document our experiences and our family history, as you said. We need, we owe it to our loved ones to pass along the legacy, not just oral tradition, but in writing. Do you recommend that people write and then spend their money on a good editor, or are you a fan of hiring yeah. a ghost writer who simply interviews yeah. you? And I hope you answer it the way I hope you answer it, so that we're in cahoots with one another. No, what I recommend you do is my courses, and because, not because I have any ego about it, but because once we remove all those barriers and once you are no longer relating to yourself like you can't, you know, then you can. I'm telling you, every single course, when, when our participants start reading on day one, at the end of day one, they start reading a little bit, you know, it's pretty mediocre stuff. They go home and by osmosis, in their sleep, because they have change the way they relate to themselves, they come back and what they read is brilliant. The job that I do is I remove the barriers. And when those barriers are removed, then you can actually learn. And I teach story structure that works. I teach story structure that, you know, works in New York Times bestselling books, that works in blockbuster films, but I teach it in such a way a six-year-old can get it, number one, and that you can never, ever walk through your life again and not see story structure in everything you want to consume. Absolutely. From commercials and you, cases, you become natural storytellers. And you used in your course, you used music as an example of mm-hmm. story structure, which was fascinating exactly. to me. So yeah, your answer exactly. is we don't need to hire a ghostwriter. We need to take your courses learn the confidence, the, the, how to trigger our passion, our creativity, and become the writer, and then hire the editor to make it grammatically correct and, yes. and, and remove the redundancies, exactly. right? Yeah, yeah. And I, reckon I, I have a copy editor myself, too, mm-hmm. just because, you know, a, another pair of eyes is going to make a difference and see things. Because you do have to be interested in the audience and what the audience is going to say. But, um, you know, our writers, I train them in how to provide feedback. So 
I have this extraordinary program. It's six months long. You finish your whole book, the entire thing. And, um, you know, your platform, everything in six months. But there comes a point in this program where we're actually swapping manuscripts and reading each other's and providing feedback, but not from whether or not we liked it. It's, you know, I want to know what page you were on and what paragraph you were on when you had chills, when you wanted to cry, mm-hmm. when you did cry. I want to know when you put that thing down to go get the kids and you didn't come back for three days or if you stayed up all night and didn't put the book down because then we can take the empirical information and find the plot problem. Did we actually create emotionally what we needed to create in the story? And because everybody's going to have an opinion. And so that's the way I recommend doing it, is getting feedback from you know, trusted readers, but I would say readers who've been trained how to read effectively. Um, and I find kind of the worst um, beta readers are people who are really, really, really trained in the industry um, because they want to rewrite. And that's not what you want to look for. You just, you're brilliant. You can write this. You just want to know, did you land it or not? Because it's really the problems are always upstream anyway. It's did you get us in the character's skin? Did we have an experience of catharsis? It's upstream. And it's simple little tweaks. Um, you know, and somebody who's going to hire a ghostwriter, that's somebody who's really too stinking busy to write their book. And, you know, um, because anybody can. I can train anybody. Yes, anybody. you can. Some of my clients are teenagers. They don't have everything in the way. That we, you know, adults do. Absolutely. So I remember uh, I've talked to so many people over the years. They come to me and they say, "Yeah, I've got a series of three books." And I'm like, "Hold on. What we need to do is look at it as a sports coach. You put your A players on the floor and or on the field first, and you win with your best team before you put the B players on." And in the music industry, we say we have a whole life to write our first hit song, excuse me, our first hit mm-hmm. album, and we have six months to write the second one. So in the literary mm-hmm. world, you don't say I've got three books. You say your readers will tell you what the next book is that you need to write. So we need to put all of the emphasis on the first book, on what do we need to say to the world. Let's just go to right, a very quick right. commercial break. And then come back with Angie Fenimore as we take it to the end of the show after commercial break, Angie. What I want you to do is teach us some secret sauce. I want you to help us understand how do we identify the genre that allows us to be most vulnerable and most honest. It could be sci-fi, which I don't get. It could be fiction. It could be nonfiction. It could be whatever. And I don't even know the names of the genres, but I want to make sure that our listeners understand how they find their niche so that they can be completely honest with themselves, which will obviously spill over into being more honest in their relationships. It will help their marriages, their spouses, significant others, their children. It'll help everyone in their lives just because of your courses and your insight on how to become an an extraordinary, elegant communicator. Again, Dan Clark, VoiceAmerica.com, Influencers Channel. Let's go to commercial break. Don't go anywhere. We're back with Angie Fenimore in just a minute. stories be motivated be inspired join us today voice america influencers 
Become a member of VoiceAmerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit voiceamerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. If you're an event meeting planner like me, you have two ongoing challenges. You can't afford to have a speaker who bombs. And when you do have an amazing speaker, who in the world do you bring into next year's meeting that will top them? Well, you never have to worry again. Book Dan Clark. Dan Clark is one of the most incredible human beings on the planet. He's been named one of the top 10 speakers in the world. He's known for customizing his speech around your meeting theme. So your people leave with benefits that last a lifetime. Here's the number, 1-800-676-1121. Or just visit danclark.com. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You're listening to The Art of Significance, featuring your host, Dan Clark. If you want to join in on this week's discussion, give us a call at 1-866-472-5795. Again, that's 1-866-472-5795. Or drop down a line via email to danclark at xmission.com. Now back to the Art of Significance. Here again is Dan Clark. Yeah, we're back with Angie Fenimore. We've been talking to her for quite a while now, a best-selling author and a, a, a writer's coach extraordinaire you know i love to confess to my guests that 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 guitar solo intro and exit from my show is actually me doing my little uh my little shredding back in the day in my very first album in 1983 where i thought i was eddie van halen but Mm -hmm. i bring that up from a writer's perspective because in music there's only 12 notes in music every song ever written was written with the same 12 notes and if the song is written in English, we uh, it was written with the same. T- every song was written with the same twenty six letters in the English alphabet. So the difference between a hit songwriter and a lousy songwriter is passion, creativity, and imagination. The difference between an ordinary author and someone that's extraordinary that takes it to the highest level and becomes a best selling author has to be passion, creativity, and imagination, which obviously breeds personal authenticity, as promised. I want you to answer four questions in about four minutes, Angie. Number one, how do we identify what our genre is? Number two, if you had one piece of advice, as I asked Richard Paul Evans in the first segment, what advice would you give to a writer, a book writer, a literary writer? What advice would you give to a woman? What advice would you give to a spouse? If you had one hour to live, I just want to put you on the hot spot. So first, how do we identify our genres so that we are actually way honest in our writing? Right. So um, we have developed this thing that we call a purpose pentagon. You want to identify your purpose. Are you writing for profit? Are you writing for praise? you know, to receive accolades? Are you writing for personal? Are you writing for your posterity? Or are you writing to provide, to make a difference for others? And when you connect up to what you're committed to, what you, what your legacy is, what you want to leave with the world, and you can actually hit all of those, you know, with any genre, um, that will provide for you 
your access to what it is you want to write, which genre you want to start with. Because the thing is, is somebody who I finally identifies themselves as a writer, often it's multiple genres, right? But, you know, maybe you need to pay the bills before you do anything else. So you would pick the one that's the, that's the most profitable, you know, the one that has the best chance, right? Or, yeah. you know, I wrote for personal. This is how I healed after a suicide attempt. And that thing became a New York Times bestseller. Who knew? That was not what I intended. But when I wrote it for public consumption, it was to make a difference. I wanted to end the conversation of suicide in our world. So, and then, you know, the rest of it came along, but identify what you're committed to. That's the first thing. I love it. Okay. So one piece of advice for women out there from your experience, (laughs) you had one hour to live. What what do you tell women to be all that they were born to be? Because you're going to make a lousy somebody else. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to say it's the same advice for writers, for women, for mothers, for wives, for anybody. It's the same advice, and in particular for writers as well, and that is it's all about point of view. Walk a mile in my moccasins. The source of every human ill is that we have the experience of being misunderstood and we don't belong. Really, no kidding, when you can get into somebody else's shoes, there's nothing but forgiveness. There's nothing but forgiveness when you can experience from their point of view. And this is critical for a writer. You must be able to get into your character's skin. So how you do that is you start with compassion. What would you do if you were in their shoes? If you got every moment of somebody else's life, if you got their DNA, if you got their parents, if everything went down exactly for you as it did for somebody else. You would have made the same choices. And then you can have compassion and forgiveness is just present. This is how every fabulous relationship works. Every strong marriage works. Every author who hits the New York Times bestseller list, this is what we do. We get into somebody else's skin. So what you're saying is as we become writers, as we commit, fully commit to being the writers that every one of us was born to be, you're telling me that that's the best way to amplify our compassion and our empathy because we have to actually create a character, which is mostly our alter ego anyway. And then we put ourselves in the positions of that character to see how he or she would act in any situation. And then that transposes into our real life so that we can become better today than we were yesterday, better listeners, more empathetic. That's what you're saying? Exactly. It works forwards and backwards. It's just always get yourself in the other person's shoes. If you're having an argument with your spouse, get in their shoes, experience from their point of view. If you're just sure that your child is off the deep end and just, you know, out to no good, get in their shoes, experience from their point of view. Listen, 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 listen. We don't listen enough, you know, and then operate from your commitments. What are you committed to? Not what your body sensations are telling you is safe. Not what your thoughts are telling you you're good enough to do. And certainly not from your emotions of fear. Come from your commitments. And I call love a commitment rather than emotion. It's a commandment. If it wasn't a commandment, yeah, it it would be, it's it's choice. It's choice. Love, you know? I I love it. Instead of going anywhere else, that's the best place that I could possibly uh, even envision ending this two-hour show. My guests have been Richard Paul Evans and my last guest with the beautiful, amazing Angie Fenimore. Again, how do we get a hold of you, my friend? 
So you can text me at 310-340-0630, text info, and I'll send you all kinds of info. And you can text inspiration to that same number, and you'll get daily inspiration for writing. And you can reach me at calliopewritingcoach.com, C-A-L-L-I-O-P-E, writingcoach.com. With my personal uh, highest recommendation for that writing writing course mm-hmm. and, and conference. This is Dan Clark. You can join my tribe at danclark.com. Click on Receive Free Gifts and Training, and you'll start receiving all kinds of uh, free stuff and and an opportunity to prove to us individually that we, in fact, do become the average of the five people we associate with the most, which means we must be willing to pay any price and travel any distance to associate with extraordinary human beings, and that includes joining me every week on my radio show. I love our troops. I honor them. Remember them in your prayers. God bless America. May God bless our leaders to make the right choices and become better communicators. I love this opportunity to be on Influencers Channel, and I hope you'll join me next week. Have a good one. Thanks for being part of the show. Be sure to join Dan Clark next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time for another edition of The Art of Significance on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Remember, you too can achieve the level beyond success. 